Hi, it's Jamie, Progressive's number one, number two employee. Leave a message at the... Hey, Jamie. It's me, Jamie. This is your daily pep talk. I know it's been rough going ever since people found out about your acapella group, Mad Harmony, but you will bounce back. I mean, you're the guy always helping people find coverage options with the Name Your Price tool. It should be you giving me the pep talk. Now get out there, hit that high note, and take Mad Harmony all the way to nationals this year! Sorry, this is pitchy. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Creating a Family. Talk about adoption and infertility. We're a weekly radio show, podcast, and to make sure that you automatically hear about each episode, sign up for our RSS feed, either at iTunes or on the radio page of our website, which is creatingafamily.org slash radio. And by the way, RSS feed, somebody actually asked me about that. Really, all that means is subscribe. I'm going to change the way I say that because, uh, you know, that's that's too much geek talk for, for me. So all you got to do is subscribe to the uh, Creating a Family podcast, and you will automatically uh, hear about the next episode. Today's show will be on traveling with newly adopted kids. I'm Dawn Davenport, the director of Creating a Family. We're a nonprofit providing education and support for both adoption and infertility. You can find us online at creatingafamily.org. The Creating a Family radio show is underwritten by our corporate sponsor, Faring Pharmaceutical. Fighting cancer doesn't have to mean a loss of your fertility. If you or a loved one are facing cancer, you may be eligible for no-cost medication uh, through the Faring Heartbeat Program. To learn more, you can go online at heartbeatprogram.com, or you could talk to your oncologist uh, and get information about it as well. If you have enjoyed our show, or if you are going to enjoy our show and you want to help us out uh, and help us grow and help others find us, please rate this podcast on iTunes. Uh, All you need to do is go to iTunes, your iTunes account, and type in Creating a Family, and and the show will pop up. You could also go, we have the ability for you to uh, link to, or we have links to iTunes on our radio page, creatingafamily.org slash radio. Just click on the iTunes icon, and it will take you directly to our uh, site, and you can click on ratings. I blog on topics of interest to those involved with either adoption or infertility three times a week. And one you might enjoy today is titled, What's in the Best Interest of Baby Veronica? If you've been following the really sad, frustrating tale of the uh, adoption of uh, of, uh, a baby named, or toddler now, uh, named Veronica, uh, and her father's now refusing to uh, turn her back over to her adoptive parents, and you know, it's just one of those things where actually the, the conversation has been really interesting about at what, how do you determine what's in the child's best interest when, in fact, at this point, probably best interest is, is long past for what's uh, for for that child anyway. Um, this show, as well as all the resources provided by Creating a Family, could not happen without the generous support of all of our gold sponsors, including Children's Connection Adoptions. They have offices throughout Texas providing domestic infant adoption, embryo donation adoption, home studies, and post-adoption support to families throughout the United States. We also have nightlight Christian adoptions with offices in California, Colorado, South Carolina, and adoption programs literally throughout the world, uh, as well as a domestic infant adoption program as and their Snowflake Embryo Donation Embryo Adoption Program. 
Uh, you can uh, link to or get to connect to any of our gold sponsors by clicking on their logo, and their logos are on the right-hand side of every page of our site. Uh, as you just heard me mention, we are a nonprofit, and one of the ways we pay our bills is through our wonderful sponsors who believe in our mission of bringing you unbiased, accurate information and supporting you on whatever your path is to achieving parenthood. One way you can help us is by supporting those who support us. You've just heard about a few of our gold sponsors, but we also have other sponsors. Uh, so if you are looking for an adoption agency or adoption counselor uh, or anything adoption-related, actually, you can find them on the service provider page of our site. You can search by location, uh, adoption programs, countries, uh, humanitarian aid, just a whole host of factors that we think are important when choosing. And when you use these databases, you support those who support us, and we thank you. Now, today's Creating a Family show will be on traveling with newly adopted children. Traveling with kids is hard enough when you know them and they know you. So how in the world do you travel with a newly adopted child? To help us figure out and to answer that question, uh, we have two guests. I am so looking forward to this show. Uh, Brooke Randolph is a licensed mental health counselor and founding team member of MLJ Adoptions, where she currently serves as the VP of Social Services. She is a single adoptive mom who has recently traveled with her newly adopted six-year-old son. We also have Susie Doig. She is the Senior Director of Adoption Services for Holt, let me say that again, Holt International Child Welfare and Adoption. She is also the adoptive mom of two kids from Thailand, one six and one four. So both you, Brooke, and, and you, Susie, are, have traveled recently uh, with uh, adoptive kids. So first let me welcome you, both of you, uh, Brooke and Susie, to Creating a Family. Thank you so much, Don. Great. Thank you, Don. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, I am too. Actually, this is a subject I have traveled. Uh, I have four children, uh, a mixture of adopted and birth, and uh, we've traveled literally all over the world with our kids, both as when they were newly adopted as well as uh, after the fact. Uh, uh, travel is just an important part of. Um, we always kid, teased our children and said, "We uh, won't necessarily buy you the latest technology. In fact, we will guarantee that you will not have the latest technology. But by golly, we will take you on trips." Uh, and so I, I love, I've spent a lot of my uh, uh, parenting time thinking about traveling with kids. So this is a topic that is, is near and, and dear to my heart. Now, now virtually all international adoption, and, and really many adoptions from foster care in the U.S. as well as domestic infant adoptions, require adoptive parents to travel home with their child. Um, I'm going to start just with kind of getting a basic idea. And Susie, I'm going to direct the first question to you. Um, how, and, and I know you can only speak for the countries that Holt has programs in, but how long do parents currently have to remain in country with their child before they come home? And I, I realize that it varies dramatically with the child. I mean, I'm not with the child, with the uh, with the country. But in the countries that you work with, uh, how long uh, are parents in country with their children? Um, we're seeing families spending anywhere between one to three weeks in country with the child before they return home. And there are more countries now that require a series of two trips, which although that creates more of a financial hardship on families, it is a nice opportunity if they get to meet the child on the first trip for that child to um, have be gradually exposed to them and get to know them over a period of time before they have to get on a plane with the parents and come back to the U.S. 
Yeah, we're going to start talking more about that, that the, the transition, gradual transition. Brooke, um, in the countries that uh, MLJ works with, um, about are you also seeing the one to three uh, uh, time frame? Um, it varies probably a bit more dramatically, anything from a few days in Samoa less than a week to um, up to 20 weeks or so in Nicaragua. Yeah, so it's it's truly all over the board, uh, uh, depending on the country. All right, I think that what, before I think that uh, when we're talking, and, and and Susie, you alluded to this in what you said, when we're talking about easing travel with newly adopted kids, we really have to back up and talk about, or it seems to me we ought to back up and talk about what steps parents can take before they travel, but after you meet your child in country that will make the actual traveling process easier. So, and, and obviously some of these steps do, do differ with age as well. All right, but focusing on kind of the, the pre-travel, once you're, you're in country or if you're de- uh, adopting domestically, you are in the state where your child is, what are some steps that, that parents can take that will make the actual travel easier? Susie, since you kind of alluded to it, I'll, I'll let you start with that one. Sure. Um, One big piece that parents can do even before they get on the plane is put together a photo album, a kid-friendly photo album with pictures of the significant family members, with pictures of the home, family pets, um, if it's an older child, the local playground or the school. And getting that hopefully to the child before the family even travels gives them an opportunity to start to see images and start thinking about what's, what lies ahead for them. Um, in countries where it isn't possible to do that ahead of time, that's still a really helpful piece to bring to kids. Um, when there's a language barrier, pictures are so powerful in explaining a story to children. And so having that photo album to go back to and look at, including photos of the child and their significant caregivers in that book, really helps to start paint a picture for kids of what the next steps are for them. Okay, that's a that's a great uh, that's a great suggestion, Brooke. What are some what are some other things that uh, parents can do uh, when they first meet their kids? They're in country uh, and they are uh, wanting to uh, make the travel process easier. One of the things I made sure that we did is we packed lots of airplane toys. He had a blow up airplane. He had a, a more like a Hot Wheels kind of airplane, um, and also um, having books that talk about airplanes, even if it's just looking at the pictures, and role-playing what it would be like in an airport, um, explaining to them ahead of time what's going to happen and all the things that they can expect. Do you have any suggestions? That's a great idea of, of reading books about air travel. And I imagine, uh, do, do you happen to remember, I didn't tell you to, to to have one off the top of your head, so it's fair to say you don't, but do you happen to know the names of any? I actually have two. I had written a blog about this previously. Um, one is called My First Airplane Ride by Patricia Hubble, um, okay. and the other is The Noisy Airplane Ride by Mike Downs. Um, and I separated them in the blog based on how anxious you think your child may be or may not be. That's a great suggestion. If you would do me a favor and send me a link to your blog, I will link to your blog uh, in um, my blog tomorrow. So that's a great suggestion. 
Uh, so if people uh, didn't get that, if our audience didn't get that written down, you can um, uh, go to creatingafamily.org slash blog, and there will be a link to the books as well as to Brooke's uh, uh, original uh, blog as well. You know, I think that another uh, point is that one of the things that makes traveling with newly adopted kids challenging is that we don't know the child and and most and just as important the child doesn't know us we don't know how to read the child's uh, uh, body language and 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 uh understand when when our child is getting frustrated or when our child is getting to that meltdown point or whatever and after we have time with our kids we do begin to read that but before we we don't know our child well our child also doesn't know us so it it seems to me that one of the most important things uh, we can do is to get as much information uh, from caregivers, uh, if possible, uh, about the child and the child's habits beforehand. Brooke, what type of questions should people be asking their caregiver if they're not every country allows you to have access to the caregiver uh, in the um, in the U.S. If you're adopting from foster uh, care, you usually do have the ability to talk with the foster parent. Uh, in foreign countries, you don't always have that. But assuming that you do have that, what type of what type of information would be helpful for you to have uh, to help the transition with your child? I think asking about um, how the children signal that they're tired and the process they go through to go to sleep, as well as child's preferences for foods and snacks. One caveat, though, is that often children behave differently under different circumstances and with different caregivers. So while a um, caregiver may give lots and lots of information to a new parent, it may not be accurate because the parents parent differently than the caregiver had or the entire stress of the situation has um, really altered the child's behavior and it may not give them the clues that they were really hoping to get. Good point. You can ask, but it may not be a guarantee. Um, one of the things that uh, um, parents coming from the U.S. will often bring foods and snacks from the U.S., um, but I encourage people to find out what the child is used to in their country, what snacks do they like there, and buy those snacks because there may be more of a guarantee. I mean, you can you can bring your, you know, raisins or whatever it is from the, or lollipops or whatever it is from the U.S., but it doesn't hurt to find out what they enjoy there um, and have that as well uh, because the comfort of something familiar, it can work both ways. Sometimes the wow of something unfamiliar mm-hmm. um, it is, a, is a diversion, but sometimes the comfort of something that they their comfort food there. Um, would be uh, would be better. Um, any suggestions of information, Susie, to get from caregivers uh, in addition to what Brooke just said? Um, I I think again what what Brooke said is you can gather the information, but it might change because under stress we all regress, and that that can all change. But one of the things that I think is really helpful is to have a basic understanding of their daily routine. Um, I think it's helpful to understand what their favorite activities are. Um, what their caregiver does to soothe them, big, really basic things like their nap schedule, their sleep schedule, their eating schedule. I think another important thing that's really basic is how they handle toileting. Um, that's a big piece. How often do they go um, 
number one and number two, and really getting an understanding of are they potty trained, do they need some support. I, I really recommend if you've got a younger child to to really be flexible, be bring pull-ups, have different options, because that's something that sometimes can regress when kids are under stress. Um, they're not they're not maintaining the same level of toilet training as they were before, and that's that that's a challenging thing to deal with when you're in transit. Uh, that leads directly to a question we got from Melissa. She is wondering that her child she's adopting a four year old. The four year old is potty trained and she is wondering if she should be putting him in pull ups for the travel, but also not sure. Her question is, is is that going to be something that he would object to being that he is four and has been potty trained? Um what would you say to that, uh, Susie? I would recommend being prepared. Um I would say bring pull ups have them you can broach that with him if he's comfortable and wants to wear them great if he has a strong reaction to being put in one then you really need to follow his cue and um, just make sure you give him lots of lots of opportunities to use the bathroom as you're going about your travels i I think that's one thing we get in our mind ahead of time is how we're going to deal with a particular situation and the hardest thing is just have options available to you, but be flexible because your child is going to come with a very different preference or experience than maybe you have thought of. Yes, and on the the bathrooming, uh, it was our mantra to seldom pass up. When a bathroom is convenient, we go because it may well be that a bathroom will not be convenient. Um, so I, I think as adults, we, we know our system and we can say, oh, yeah, I really, don't really have to go now. Um, but when traveling uh, with children, uh, the, you know, you really there is no such thing as a too frequent bathroom stop. Just going to mention I that. I completely agree. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and those who've traveled with infants, my son was 13 months when we traveled to Thailand to bring him home, and my most one of my most vivid experiences is being out in Bangkok with him and in a mall and realizing his diaper was completely soaked through going into a mall bathroom and trying to figure out how to change his diaper for one of the first times for me on a bathroom counter with a crowd of people watching and oh, doing a no. really poor yeah. job. And so that's one of the things is we don't necessarily have a lot of um, experience or expertise that we're bringing <laughs> to the table. We may have cared for other people's kids or have child caring experience in our past, but it's new to us too. So I think having a bit of a sense of humor and being flexible can go a long way because it's going to take some practice for us, again, to know exactly how to meet our child's needs and be really good at it. That's such a good suggestion of practice. Uh, make sure that you, you've had lots of opportunities to change diapers so that you're not doing it for the first time um, <laughs> right. in a Bangkok mall or bathroom or on a plane <laughs> or um, or anything like that, yes. Uh, great, great idea. And one thing to consider packing are the wet wipes and things like that in case you do have, uh, even if your child is potty trained, if there's a bit of an accident that gives you a time to or gives you the something to uh, more easily uh, clean uh, uh, little bottoms up, clean them up with. Uh, so not another, not a bad suggestion. Um, all right, so then anything else? Okay, so the, the spending as much the... Uh, Another tip for if you're fortunate enough um, to have the time is to spend as much time with your child in country before you travel as possible. Um, Brooke, is that always an option 
for families who are traveling uh, to uh, maximize the time uh, with the child's caregiver and the child watching how the caregiver interacts, as well as just time alone with the child. Is that an option for in most countries? It's it's very variable. They may not have any access to the caregiver or may have very little. Um, Many families have the opportunity to stay longer, yet they um, choose not to because it's expensive and they've already dealt with an international adoption process or they feel like they don't have enough time off work, or maybe they're just simply stressed by the international travel and want to Mm -hmm. get home for themselves as quickly as possible. I think often parents forget that home is comforting for us, but you're actually taking your child out of the home that they know. And so the faster transition is more jarring for them. Um, But it does, you know, when you are less stressed, you are a better parent. So it's something that uh, families do have to make a balance with. It is a balancing act, isn't it? Yeah. Um, Susie, what do you recommend uh, when, if, if families have an option? And, and, and let me first ask, in, in the countries where Holt works, um, do families have much of an option? In it, it Again, it really varies on country. In some countries, they do a really nice job of doing a gradual transition, doing lots of explaining to the child about the next step. Um, my experience in Thailand was the first day we met her, um, our son and our daughter um, separately. We had lunch with them. They went up and saw our hotel room. The social worker explained, tomorrow you're going to come and you're going to stay the night. Then she went. they went back to their foster mom. Then the next day they came and spent the whole day with us and we visited the foster parent. And then I believe it was the third day that they actually came and stayed and stayed with us in the hotel. And so that gradual transition helped them kind of emotionally absorb what was going on and process that a little and being able to go back to their secure base of being with their foster parent at night and getting that comfort. A lot of countries, it's a handoff. You know, you're you're in a government office and the orphanage staff come and they introduce you to the child and that transition happens and then you're together from that point forward. Um, in countries where we've seen that there are there's flexibility for how long that transition is, it can also really vary on the child. Sometimes it's a lot of stress on the child's system to be in transition for a long period of time. Sometimes they just feel like they have to cut the ties. If they have to say goodbye to the caregiver in life that they know, they don't want to be in limbo. They just want to go forward and do it. Um, I've spoken with caregivers at institutions, and they've said, you know, for some kids, they want it to be a, a week-long process. For other kids, they say no, and they need to leave the institution and move on to the next step. So it it really, again, if you have the luxury letting your child kind of take the lead in what they're comfortable with, but in a lot of countries you just kind of have to deal with what, what you're presented with, which isn't always the ideal. Yeah, I think that's actually, from my experience, that's more common, that you really don't. You as a parent are not the one who is getting to make this decision. It is going to be either the country program has already made the decision or the uh, the specific caregivers. And so, um, yeah. Uh, and, and But I like the point that you make that although we tend to think that a gradual transition is better, it's a really good point that that may or may not be better given the personality of your child. Yeah, that's a really interesting and you, point. And you don't think about that. I mean, you think you all kids are going to want a gradual transition, but some really have, a, I think, a hard time 
maintain uh, maintaining all those feelings when they are in transition and they just need to get from one situation to another and then take a breath and start to adjust. Yeah, that is such a good point. You are listening to Creating a Family, talk about adoption and infertility. Um, we have a number of resources that uh, might be helpful for things we have just talked about. We have a list of questions uh, to ask uh, caregivers uh, when you, if you are fortunate enough to be uh, with your caregiver. Uh, and uh, I will link to that again in the it's on it's on it's linked to on our international adoption uh, uh, resources. You can find those by going to creatingafamily.org, hovering over the blue horizontal menu, the word on the horizontal menu is adoption, hover over it, a drop-down menu appears, click on resources, go to international adoption, and the list of questions to ask caregivers is there. I will also link to it in the blog tomorrow. We've also done a show on attaching uh, tips for attaching with your child in country. Uh, and that show uh, is also, uh, you can uh, download it to your phone or tablet or listen to it directly through your computer. And you can uh, it's also linked to on the uh, international adoption resources on our site, and I will link to it on the, on the blog tomorrow. Both of those are excellent resources. Um, one of my uh, the things that I, I uh, talk to people about, I think that oftentimes, and I totally understand this, um, but oftentimes people tend to overreact to behaviors or, or things that they uh, see in their children doing during traveling. So I have a mantra that I uh, that we, we have developed over here, uh, and it's a four point mantra. Uh, one, these are this is to be repeated frequently to yourself. I want everybody to write this down. Um, and repeat it very frequently to yourself when you are traveling with newly adopted kids. I will not worry during this time about forming bad habits or correcting existing ones. I will not worry during this time about every little thing being an indication of attachment issues or other major problems. I will not worry during this time if my child does not respond the way I had dreamed. I will be flexible and patient. Flexible and patient. Flexible and patient. Uh, write those down, remember those. I, I do think that we do tend to, I mean, it's understandable uh, if we if our child is being stubborn or if our child is uh, um, not affectionate, if our child is screaming. Um, we're really oftentimes seeing our children at their, at their very worst, aren't we, Brooke? Oh, absolutely. They're, they're under so much stress and they are afraid and confused and they really don't have any idea what's going on. So of course they are acting at their worst. Plus travel in it of itself with even if we enjoy it is a stressor. Yeah, you know, it's, it, that's such a good point. I love to travel. Uh and uh and when my uh, children were were older, they certainly seemed to enjoy it as well. Uh but you know, even in the best of circumstances, uh, as somebody who loves to travel, there are times where I really don't love to travel. It is extraordinarily stressful, you know, and uh, and and that's in the uh, as you point out, and that's that, that's from somebody who who really is loving it and and really enjoys it. Um, yeah, very good point. Um, now, and Don, I think I would, another. Oh, sorry. Sorry to interject, but I I know for me, everybody has their worst fear of what behavior they're going to have to deal with. And for me, it was 
the tantrums and the public um, just meltdowns of crying and screaming. But also kids respond, um, can can shut down. And I don't think parents think about that as always a stress reaction. I think parents start to worry, is something wrong with my child? And I think it's really important to understand that we all respond differently to stress, and sometimes people just lose it outwardly, but oftentimes kids can become very internal and very quiet, and it's important for parents not to read more into that. Um, what you're saying was perfect about being flexible and not looking at the current behavior as an indication of future <laughs> problems or issues. It's really understanding the, the level of stress kids are under and that that can, that can manifest itself in a lot of different ways with different kids. And it's such a good point. And, you know, I, it, it, when we talk with families, we often will, will have them, you know, think through what the worst scenario would be and, and, and try to, to ease their anxiety. To, to, to and, and people don't anticipate the shutting down, um, mainly because they figure that's a, a better uh, outcome than uh, that's a better scenario than the, than the, the pitching a fit. Uh, right. and, and I think it, it might be actually. The more I think about it, that, really would be a preferable. Uh, but then they panic that this child is, you know, that uh, this child. We've had people post that, oh my gosh, my my, you know, I think this my child is autistic. She's, you know, she will not look at me. She won't do anything. And mm-hmm. uh, and in fact, I'll just have a child who's totally overwhelmed. Um, yeah, that's such a good point. I'd like now to uh, kind of shift into kind of a practical mode about. Uh, uh, Air travel, because most of the time when we're adopting, uh, unless we're adopting uh, in a, in a, from a state very nearby, it involves uh, air travel. Uh, so, and, and, of course, when you're traveling with children, we have to break it down by age because the issues are, are, are just different. So uh, because it is possible, not internationally, if you're adopting internationally, you're not going to be getting a newborn most likely. In fact, in all likelihood, you will not. Um, but let's go ahead and touch on that because there are people adopting uh, domestically who will uh, be traveling with a newborn. Susie, do you have any suggestions on uh, uh, newborn travel? Um, I, I do. I think one of the things that's really important is keeping that physical connection um, throughout that transition period. And I know some people think about strollers and all of the equipment, but I think having that physical proximity is really reassuring, even if you're still getting to know each other. So I definitely recommend for infants and toddlers having um, a a carrier that a parent can wear, and it's important to look for ones that aren't forward-facing for the child, but ones where the child can face inward to the parent um, because they can get overstimulated really quickly, and if you have them in a forward-facing carrier, they can't turn away from the stimuli. Um, And so I think having a carrier is important. And what we talked about before, having that bag full of backups, having extra diapers, extra wipes, an extra outfit, snacks, formula, that's really critical so that when the child starts to fuss or is having a hard time, you have several different things at your fingertips tips to try to try and soothe them. And even if you don't get the right one right away, I think it's reassuring to your child that you are going through several different attempts to soothe them and that you've, you've got a pacifier, you've got a bottle, you've got snacks, you've got toys, it's all there. That's a great suggestion, and this this one is kind of moving more. Now, this one would be applicable 
for international travel because it's moving more to infants or, or babies, but not necessarily newborns. Um, and uh, what about finding the uh, how the child is carried is used to being carried? In many countries, the child the children are worn, but the the method of wearing the baby, the method of the carrier, is different. Um, do you recommend that, Brooke, as a uh, as a, uh, a first step for parents, or should the parents go ahead and uh, just uh, transition to the carrier that they anticipate using at home, the you know the ergonomically correct, uh, fancy uh, uh, baby wearing carrier that we have options to? I think um, I I should say that I actually had the opportunity to help escort a um, infant home from Africa. Um, I suppose it's been over a year ago now. Um, and I think most of the parents bringing home um, infants are so nervous and also very committed to the ways that they intend to parent. Um, it's probably not very realistic to ask them to keep with the types of slings used in country they want to practice ahead of time. I am definitely a proponent of using slings rather than strollers. Um, it, it helps so much to have your hands free when you are going through the airport with your stuff and all of the child's stuff. The other things that I would suggest when you're flying with an infant is make sure you ask for help. The flight attendants are more than willing to help you out, to warm up a bottle, to bring you extra water, to do those things. They are happy to do that. Um, even though you want to keep the child close to you on long flights, they do have bassinets available, and that may help you be able to stretch a little bit so that you are in a better place to help take care of the child. Um, you stand and rock with the child. You don't have to walk around the whole plane, or you can, but make sure that you do those things to soothe them. And also, the hardest thing for parents is be willing to throw things away. Your child has an accident, is getting things messy. You really don't want to continue to take dirty clothes across country borders simply to wash them. <laughs> What a great they, idea. They don't want to let go of all those connections, and I, I totally understand that. But if you really have to, take a picture of it and then throw it away because soiled clothing is not something that you need to be taking through customs. Hmm, that's a great suggestion. Uh, yeah, you're right, actually, and, and it's just more of a hassle to um, uh, to, to keep up with it. Um, another tip with babies well, actually with all children, um, but speaking of babies, the way and ears, uh, children's ears are more likely to uh, feel the pressure on uh, takeoff and landing than our adult ears given the the way our eustachian tubes are, fun are, are, are situated in, a, in an infant's face versus an adult's face. Uh, and even adults uh, will often get that pressure feeling in their ear, but we know automatically how to correct for it, whereas babies do not. So it, it helps to, uh, on takeoffs and landing, to have the child sucking because the sucking motion will pop that uh, the built up of pressure. Same as with opening your mouth and yawning, and, and that's uh, so. With babies, we often do that either with a pacifier or with a bottle. So uh, I think it's helpful to have a bottle if it's not time uh, for a feeding, or if you if it's possible to plan a feeding during for around that time, which you. That may be a, a pipe dream, but if you can, that's a good time to be. They'll be sucking. Um, if not, uh, a pacifier uh, would work. Or if they're a finger or a thumb sucker, uh, getting the finger and thumb in their mouth during that time, so that uh, their ears will be um, uh, transitioning. Um, 
All right. Any other suggestions you can think of for babies, traveling with babies? Susie, before we move on to up the uh, up the age range here, uh, any other suggestions for uh, baby travel? Um, that you have another adult with you to carry things. <laughs> um, I think what Brooke said was really that important, was nice. that it, it's good It's good to ask for help. And I think one of the things we want to do as new parents is show that we can master it all, that we can be the parent that has the stroller and the backpack and the suitcase and the baby and we're juggling it all and doing great. And the reality is this is, again, this is new. Cut yourself some slack and have somebody who is just – there to help support you and carry things and run and get a bottle of water. Um, use the help that's out there because you're you're going to need it. It's going to help you relax more and be more present with your child. That's a great suggestion. You don't have to do it all. And you know, I think sometimes if the child is would uh, if somebody wants to interact with your child. Go ahead and let them. I mean, so often we 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 stress so much that nobody can 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 help with our child at all other than us. And and while that may be a great idea, um, if uh, in travel all rules are broken in that sense, I mean, where you just cut yourself some slack and say, all right, I can use help. I you know, if somebody uh, wants to, if the child if if the child is comfortable with that. Uh, I, I spoke with somebody who uh, the child was really struggling. And she was traveling with her parents, and she. But she was afraid to even let her parents carry and hold the child. Uh, but her stress was going up, and the baby, quite frankly, was better off. Or was uh, when um, when the the grandfather, in particular, for whatever reason, was able to be more calming. Uh, but the um, mom was really worrying that that was going to be creating attachment issues. Um, so. Uh, the uh, the idea is that uh, you know um, we don't have to worry about that for the you know the one day that we are in transit uh, that's probably not going to be earth shattering. Brooke, before we move off from um, uh, babies, uh, air travel with babies, any final suggestions? Just be flexible, give yourself a break, and it's okay to tell your seatmates that you just met this child. <laughs> Oh Lord! They'll be they'll be trying to. Oh gosh! Please let me move to any other place. <laughs> Why so me? So they give you a break, so that they don't they don't you know give the well. Why can't you calm your child down? You're a terrible parent. We we yeah. have all these fears that people are judging us, and it's okay to just let them know that I just met this kid and I'm doing my best. And um, they will they will give you uh, lots of advice, but people do that anyway. Somebody yeah, told me a, Go ahead. Oh, sorry, Don. Somebody told me a great story, and I don't think it was a child who was adopted, but it was their child's first airplane ride, and they made these little um, treat bags that they handed out to each of the passengers on the plane with a note in it saying, it's my child's first plane trip. I want to apologize ahead of time. I'm sorry. <laughs> and they handed that to each person on the plane. And I don't, I didn't hear how the child actually did, but... I think just having engaging people in what you're doing and asking them for their flexibility I think is 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 helpful. <laughs> all I'm going to say is that I bet they sold out of all the adult beverages on that flight. <laughs> I'm probably going, oh my gosh, yeah, it's only eight in the morning, but bring me that Bloody Mary. <laughs> oh, but you know what? It's, it's what a cute idea. 
Uh, I don't I don't know that I would have done it, but still, <laughs> but, but the point's well taken that, it, you know, particularly if the baby is getting fussy or, you know, it's just acknowledging and saying, you know, because at that point, people would feel like they're being a jerk to say they might be mentally thinking, oh, why me? But on the other hand, they'll keep it to themselves, which anyway, <laughs> might be the best bet. I mean, might be your your saving grace. You are listening to Creating a Family, and Creating a Family has the largest adoption and infertility communities on the social networks, and we would love to have you join us. On Twitter, you can find me on Dawn, at Dawn Davenport one or at Creating a Family. On Facebook, there are three ways to connect with us. One, you can connect to me, Dawn.Davenport1. You can also like our Facebook page, or you can join our Facebook support group. Uh, to find either of those, just type in the words Creating a Family, in the Facebook search box, you can then like the page and join the group, and we would love to have you with us. All right, moving up the age range now to toddlers. Now, uh, you know, this is probably not the way I should start this, but for those of you who will be traveling uh, with toddlers, I will tell you, as I mentioned, I have traveled a lot with all of my children, and the most difficult age, in my opinion, to travel with, uh, bar none, is uh, is the toddler age. Uh, we will make some suggestions, don't worry, but I am going to say that it is the more difficult age. Uh, once those little boogers are able to move, that is their mission in life. Uh, and the nature of travel doesn't always allow for that. So anyway, um, with that uh, caveat, uh, let's talk about traveling with toddlers. Brooke, do you have any suggestions for air travel with toddlers? <laughs> well, Probably the the thing that I think is most important to know with toddlers is that they really are the most difficult. They not only do they want to move, but they don't have any understanding. I don't really care what someone told them. They don't really have any understanding of what is going on and who these new people are. So they're um, confused and afraid, and you are most likely to see. Oops, to see what now? I think you dropped off. Try that again. To see to see some of the more difficult behaviors from toddlers. Yeah, yeah. You might be lucky if they shut down. Um, <laughs> shutting down will be your best scenario here. Um, yeah, uh, the uh, right. So I mean, that's um, that. You're. I think yes. I, all I can say is I agree. Uh, Susie, any uh, any thoughts or tips for uh, what we can do to help ease the uh, uh, ease this experience uh, for our toddlers? I wish I had the magic <laughs> the magic trick to make that easier. Um, when we traveled home with our daughter, she was 17 months old and walking and talking and it was a really long trip and I think part of the part of the challenge um of the the trip home is that you've just had an experience in country. You probably are pretty tired. One of you may have gotten a cold, your immune system is down and you're gearing up for this long journey home. Um I think one of it is really looking for kid-friendly places within the airports that you're at. Some airports have child play areas that literally have slides and climbing areas and kind of a contained area for small kids to run around in. So any layovers, any significant time in the airport, I highly suggest seeking that area out and then just camping and letting your child run around and explore that area. Um, That can be really helpful. You know, along those lines, even if you cannot find that area, um, allowing your child to have a different position, allow them to move 
as much as they possibly can when you are in the airport and and bringing along things that will encourage that bubbles are great um it is a hard a child is hard pressed not to want to pop a bubble so you can go off into the corner of just the waiting area uh, as you're waiting for your flight blow some bubbles and have your child jump and move to capture the bubbles is a great idea having them even if there are uh there's the, the cracks or the, the the seams between the carpet or the uh or the tiles you can jump from one to the other or try to avoid the cracks make games that keep your child uh moving uh your goal is to uh wear them out and have them totally move as much as they can as they possibly can <laughs> um the other thing that I strongly suggest with toddlers is when the uh, fasten seatbelt sign is not on, um, get your child up and have them walk up and down the aisles. Uh, I think that especially on the bigger planes, which usually if you're going over the ocean you are, you can uh, you can get a uh, a lot of movement there. If your child wants to crawl, uh, wiggle around, uh, allow them to do that. If you're a total germaphobe, that that could be a challenge and. Uh, um, I don't know where they have the, I guess get your Purell out uh, at that uh, I'm not one, so for me it wasn't an issue. Um, and don't wait for your child to get fussy to get them up and moving because especially if it's a long flight, they're going to have to move. So be proactive. Uh, anticipate that they're going to want to move. And uh, when you have the option, which is not going to be usually for the entire flight um, because of turbulence or, or uh, whatever, so or uh, I, uh, the carts in the aisle. So when you have the option, Take it uh, proactively and and utilize it. Um, what about toys? What type of toys um, might work for uh, you know kids anywhere from the you know one and a half to um, four age range thereabouts? Brooke, any suggestions there? Well, when we talk about traveling with newly adopted children, I really suggest you over-prepare and bring a little bit of everything. Make sure that you have books and photos and videos and stickers and coloring books and cars and anything, puzzles, any possible option of toy because you don't know what their preference is. I certainly over-prepared and had some of everything and at least through most of our flights home, he just watched the videos. And that was okay, too. Um, so I carried a lot of things I didn't need, but you don't know this child and their experiences and their preferences, and you want to have everything available to offer to them. Well, one of the hard things about toddlers is oftentimes they aren't entertained uh, by videos, but but sometimes with well, certainly the, when we start moving up the age range, uh, uh, cartoons and and videos, uh, Susie. Do you recommend uh, bringing some from home, or uh, or buying some in the child's language, or some that the child may have seen before in country? I think ideally, if there is a favorite cartoon or show that a child has watched in the institution or their foster home, if you can get a copy of that and have some way to play it, that would be fantastic. Um, that being said, there, you know, I think. There are shows like Sesame Street that have universal appeal to all kids, and if those are some things that you could download onto an electronic uh, device like a 
Kindle Fire or an iPad um, and just kind of have it, you're ready. Kids really do love electronics. I mean, even two-year-olds, if you get out an interactive iPad, they, within probably a minute or two, have figured out how to, you know, go through the photos with their finger and push apps <laughs> and get things going. And so I think yeah. all of those little bells and whistles can be very distracting for kids and very entertaining. And again, yeah. it's not how you're going to parent your child forever. You're not going to sit them down in front of a screen for, you know, their formative toddler years. But if that can get you through a long international flight, it is worth it. And it goes back to the first of the mantras. Uh, we do not worry when we're traveling uh, with newly adopted kids about forming bad habits. Uh, yes, or or breaking other, you know, if the child already was, you're concerned about being a couch potato and you don't want to set, forget about it. You've got 24 hours or however long uh, to, uh, uh, you know, to survive this travel. And by golly, there's no such thing as a bad habit during that point. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. Um, what type of food? I always recommend protein-rich food. Uh, I uh, know somebody who was traveling and they uh, didn't want candy, so they brought raisins. And the child probably ate an entire box of raisins, which, okay, let's be honest, folks, we know what's going to happen uh, with that much uh, raisins. Sure enough, we had a massive, massive blowout um, and diarrhea diaper. It was just a mess. Uh, so, I, you know, I, although I'm all for, you know, healthy snacks, I, I think that perhaps uh, number one, snacks that the child is used to is, is a good thing if you can, if the child has favorites. Um, and I have no problem with uh, bribing with candy, but... I do think that you have to be aware of um, that that you can't predict your meals, and you're not sure when. So high protein snacks actually uh, will uh, will serve you well. So any suggestions for that type of snacks uh, for uh, for a uh, for an infant is a problem. They've got formula, but for a toddler, any suggestions? Um, let me ask. Well, Don, you know sorry. nutrition is one of my uh, major things. Um, and I have enough food allergies that I pack a lot of food whenever I travel. Um, and one thing that I think it's important for parents to remember is that you don't know if your child has food allergies um, and you don't know how they're going to respond to things. So one of my suggestions is Lara bars because they're very safe for most people and they come in lots of different flavors. and you can find them that your child will enjoy. Um, I think I have chocolate coconut chew at home. There was a cherry pie. Um, peanut butter seemed to be my son's favorite. And they can replace meals if necessary, They um, or they can simply be just a snack to tide kids over. Mm -hmm. That's a great suggestion. And even a toddler uh, can probably chew that. Isn't that. Wouldn't that be right? Yes. Okay, yes. yeah. So, okay, that's a great one. Um, I hear people ask about peanut butter crackers. The problem with those is they usually get crushed in transit, um, and then you just have a mess, so I don't usually recommend those. Susie, any suggestions uh, on uh, food that you can bring easily pack uh, will last from the U.S. over there and then on the way back um, that works for, for families? Yeah, I think um, to, uh, to add to the Lara Bar um, just fruit leather, I think that's something that tends to be sweet um, and that is easy to pack and it's lightweight. Um, for some reason, the universal love of toddlers tends to be, in addition to Sesame Street, or Cheerios. That's something that I think is pretty, um, is a fairly bland flavor, but it has a crunch. And so having some of those in a bag can 
bag can be really helpful. What you said I think is really important. Go to the grocery store before you leave and go through the snack aisle. Bring your child. Have them point out a snack that they would be interested in or would like to get. And I think the other thing is giving your child access to things on their own terms. If you can have a bag for them that they get to have a couple of snacks or a couple of toys in that they can access at any time, I help. I think that that helps reassure them of some of their fears of are my needs going to be met, that they have things within their own reach that they can get during the trip and meet their meet their needs. That's a good suggestion. One of the things that um, I often will tell people when we talk about this, there's a, a, between a mixture of toys uh, that the child is familiar with as well as a toy that is new and might have some more wow value or, or diversion value. Um, after a child has played with something for a while, sometimes it becomes the old and it doesn't have much diversion power. So having a few things um, tucked away that you have, a few toys that you have not given the child and have not played with and uh, save for the trip home, I think is a um, is a great idea. Um, and the uh, other tip is to interact with your child. Um, this goes all the way up through school age, um, um, but not just give the child a toy so that you can veg out with uh, People magazine, although heaven only knows I think that's a great idea. Um, the uh, But rather than give the child uh, the toy and expect or give the child the coloring book or the sticker book to actually interact with the child, um, uh, when you're traveling, uh, I think is a is, is probably a good idea as well. Um, moving on up, uh, the uh, we've kind of already started doing this, but let's talk some about uh, school, you know, four and up school age kids. Um, at this point, the child has a better understanding of what's going on. Susie, does that work to your advantage or to your disadvantage in a sense um, uh, with that with with children with they having a greater understanding? I think it can really be both because kids who are older and have a greater understanding, sometimes in country they are told very interesting ideas about what lays ahead. Sometimes caregivers um, can do a really good job of preparing, but also they hear some scary things, maybe from other kids in the institution or other adults that they meet, about what's going to happen to them when they leave. So oftentimes they might be sitting with a whole um, idea of thoughts about what's going to happen to them that isn't true. And so I think... Um, that piece of just their mental um, alertness and their ability to really understand concepts and think about what's next um, can be to your advantage because you can prepare them better. But on the other hand, you're not sure what all they're bringing to the table and their thoughts are about what's next. So I think you really have to um, – one thing that you really have to do in an adult, as an adult is slow down. Um, they're not just going to follow you like an infant or a toddler. You need to assume that your child does not know what comes next and really take it down to a level of explaining step-by-step step what's involved with the journey. Um, and one of the, th one of the tools that we use to help prepare families and kids are social stories, and it's a little like Brooke was talking about, about bringing play, um, books about riding on an airplane and what what that's like. These are these are tools that are used for kids that often have auditory processing issues and they really are step by step. This is an airplane. You'll be this is what the inside of an airplane looks like. This is what a waiting room looks like. And I think those can be a really good tool for older kids just to walk them through each of the steps of the journey. 
Are these are these um, uh, books that are available for people to buy, or is it just something that you uh, that Holt has created? We have them um, free for downloading on our website. Um, we have one for the plane ride home. We have one for hotels. How to use the toilet, how to wash your hands, your pets, riding in a car, sleeping, bathing, eating, um, and they're they're really all about photographs, um, just documenting the process and tips written in there for parents about how to use them with kids. So I'd be happy to send you the link to that so you can put that on your site. Yeah, if you would send the link, uh, and if everybody will include that uh, in the blog tomorrow. Uh, one of the questions that that is raised uh, that it's kind of you're in a, a bit of a catch twenty two, because although it, yours are visual, the the the, the Susie the, the resources you've just mentioned are visual, the ability to explain to your child what is happening as you're going through it and and, and what to anticipate is hindered by often not speaking the language. So Brooke, what what what's a parent to do when traveling with a child because you you don't know their language usually and they certainly haven't had time to learn much English so how can we help them figure out what's happening so it's less of a frightening experience well i think it's important for parents to prioritize 10 to 20 words that they want to learn how to pronounce they don't have to necessarily memorize them they can have them written down but those words that can the important words for explaining certain things. And then after that, charades works really well with children. Um, Children of all ages, we don't need to use words nearly as much as we think we do with children. They follow us, um, follow our, our, uh, our actions a lot more. And so just be willing to make a fool of yourself, which is a good practice for any parent, and um, act it out. Show them exactly what's going to happen and be silly and um, have fun with it. That's a great idea. Yeah, go ahead and, and do that. I mean, go ahead and, and, and act out uh, what's, as much as you can uh, what's going to be happening so that our kids then will be able to, uh, and to anticipate. We have um, two questions from uh, uh, Facebook that uh, I want to make sure we get to. One is from Georgia, and her concern is less of an air travel issue, but knowing that her uh, daughter will have never been in a car seat, or she anticipates that her daughter will never have been in a car seat, <laughs> um, how to, and yet knowing that she wants the child in a car seat just coming home from the airport to their house, she's anticipating problems or, or wants to know how to avoid them. Any suggestions uh, with that, Susie? Is that you giggling in the background? <laughs> <laughs> no, but I could be. <laughs> And thinking yeah. that that's huge both on the plane and in the car is children who are in this stressful transition really don't like to be restrained. That's, that doesn't feel good to them. And so I think anything that you can do to make that feel safe and friendly um, – what we did when we got home from the airport is we had a stuffed animal strapped into the car seat in the back, and we showed how to strap the animal in and unstrap them. Um, and then we put our child in the seat and let them help try and put the buckles together. Um, I think any prep you can do of showing pictures with kids smiling who are doing that, um, it really just help them understand that this is as much as you can, that this is okay, that this can be fun, that this is safe. Um, And then really there are times when you have to make a commitment to safety and maybe have another adult sit in the back with the child, even if it is 
they are crying, they are scared because they they need to be safe on the uh, in that transition from the airport to home. Yeah, that's and and I think that um, also there are uh, books I believe that talk about car seats. Do either of you know them? I that's something else that uh, I'm thinking of Brooks' idea of using a book about air travel. Um, do either of you know any resources uh, that you can um, uh, picture books that would show a child in a car seat getting strapped in? Um, either of you, I would throw that out there. We Brooks, do have uh, one social story of how I ride in a car, and it shows a lot about seat belts and the different types of getting belted in and kids smiling while, while they're doing that. So that's one of the social stories people can access from the whole website. Okay, that's a, that's a great one, and we will link to that one because I think that's a real question. And we have time for one more question, and I'm going to use this one for Rachel because I think it's one that I certainly hear a lot of people talking about that. Uh, to use Benadryl or not Benadryl for the uh, air travel. Um, uh, Brooke, I'll, I'll toss that one to you. Let me first say that you, before you did that, you will want to talk with your doctor about that. Uh, but having uh, given that caveat, Brooke, what are your thoughts on Benadryl? Oh, I have lots of thoughts on this subject. Um, so, <laughs> well, I would first say um, that there are um, some children who don't respond in the typical way to such medication. I do think that for many of those children, it may be related to the dyes involved um, to make it red or purple to make it more appealing. So um, find the dye-free versions if you're going to go that route. Um, I would also, yes, after talking to your doctor, I would suggest talking to a pharmacist who will do the calculations for you on dosage based on your child's weight specifically. And you will not know your child's weight if you're traveling internationally, so they're going to give you um, some kind of ranges so you have an idea. Um, but be prepared that not all children react the same way, and for some of them it may wire them and that may or may not be what you want to risk. A melatonin I strongly is recommend another trying op- it on your child before air travel uh, so that before you know plane, yeah. how you're – Yeah, before you get – yeah, but do not make the first time you've ever given your child. If you're going to do it, don't do it for the first time on the airplane. Um, and, um, and let me – Susie, do you have any any thoughts on uh, either uh, any of the uh, the Benadryl question or the anything else about traveling with school age or older children before we uh, – I'll give you the last uh, the last bite of that apple. Um, my – what you said is great, which is try things out before you get on the plane. Once you're on the plane, as you know, there's no way to get off. And so if there's <laughs> medication you're thinking about, if there's a food, if there's – something that you want to try out and see how your child is going to respond to that, do that before you're in a confined area and your options are a lot less for responding to a a bad interaction. Very good. Yeah, that's a very good point. Um, As you know, you're listening to Creating a Family. We primarily keep in touch with our audience through our twice-weekly e-newsletter. We let you know the latest developments in adoption as well as the upcoming week's blog and show topics. We also share other new resources uh, via our newsletter and we'd love to have you in our newsletter tribe. So please sign up for our weekly newsletter at the top left of any page of creatingafamily.org. Thank you, Susie Doig and Brooke Randolph, for being our guest today on Creating a Family. 
Before I leave, I'd like to take one moment to thank one more gold sponsor. It is through their generous support that we can bring you this show and all the resources at Creating a Family. I'd like to thank Independent Adoption Center, whose mission is to provide open adoption placement and counseling to birth and adoptive families. They work in families in all 49 states and are fully licensed in California, Indiana, Georgia, North Carolina, Texas, Connecticut, and New York. Uh, We're going to be collecting travel tips for newly adopted kids on my blog tomorrow. I'll be sharing my favorites, and others will be chiming in with their own. So please check out that blog tomorrow at creatingafamily.org slash blog. To get more information on Susie Doig or on Holt Adoption, you could go to their website, holtinternational.org. To get more information on Brooke Randolph or on MLJ Adoptions, you can go to their website, which is mljadoptions.com. I will be linking to the resources that both uh, Brooke and Susie mentioned uh, on the blog tomorrow, so if you're wanting access to it, check it out, and you can uh, click on that and uh, um, take you directly to the resources that they have mentioned. The uh, UN uh, estimates that there are 143 million orphans in the world, including 104,000 older children currently available for adoption in the U.S. foster care system. These kids, as well as the millions of older children throughout the world, deserve a home. To get more information about the U.S. children awaiting for a family, you can go to the Adoption Resource page and the Waiting Children's page uh, at creatingafamily.org. Thanks for joining us today, and I will see you next week. Hi, it's Jamie, Progressive number one, number two employee. Leave a message at the... Hey, Jamie, it's me, Jamie. This is your daily pep talk. I know it's been rough going ever since people found out about your acapella group, Mad Harmony, but you will bounce back. I mean, you're the guy always helping people find coverage options with the Name Your Price tool. It should be you giving me the pep talk. Now get out there, hit that high note, and take Mad Harmony all the way to nationals this year! Sorry, it's pitchy. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Let's say you just bought a house. Bad news is, you're one step closer to becoming your parents. You'll proudly mow the lawn. Ask if anybody noticed you mowed the lawn. Tell people to stay off the lawn. Compare it to your neighbor's lawn. And complain about having to mow the lawn again. Good news is, it's easy to bundle home and auto through Progressive and save on your car insurance. Which, of course, will go right into the lawn. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company, affiliates, and other insurers. Discount not available in all states or situations.